Well, good evening, everyone. Once again, my name is Chris Blackman, and it's a real privilege to be here bringing you God's Word tonight. Uh, I extend the warmest greetings from your brothers and sisters in Kennesaw, Georgia, at Christ Community Church, where we regularly attend, as well as my wife, Kelsey, and our two young children. Uh, they decided to stay home tonight as it was a little close to bedtime, and naps weren't had today, so you know we thought it was in everyone's best interest to get a good night of sleep. Uh, but they're sad they can't be here. Uh, we were graciously invited by Pastor Gilbert uh, maybe a month or so back, and when we were leaving, we are getting in the minivan, my three-year-old said, wow, that was a great church. I said, yeah, it really was. So uh, we are happy to be here. Uh, we think fondly of you and uh, very happy to be sharing God's word with you. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 127. Be hearing from the word of the Lord from Psalm 127. Hear now the reading of God's word. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever uh, played that game before, Jenga, or seen it? Pretty familiar, right? And you can get the little box, and there's little wood pieces in it. And it is, you, you take the box off, and it's stacked in a little tower. And the way the game works is you take turns trying to remove uh, one of the little wood blocks. And the idea is if you take one out and the tower collapses, you lose. And I thought, man, uh, there's something about that that's very reflective of life, that we often try to uh, get as much out of it <laughs> without letting it crumble and collapse before us. Now, we're all, right, would like to uh, get a lot of joy and pleasure out of life. Uh, and then there's something very kind of capitalist or business about that. We'd like to maximize profits and minimize loss, like to maximize efficiency and minimize labor. Uh, and there's very much uh, some, some good and worthy truths in there. We all want uh, to be diligent and work hard and be faithful. These are things we want for our children as well. And yet this psalm, written by Solomon, who was considered the wisest man of his time because the Lord had blessed him with great wisdom, tells us that there is a way in which you can work very hard, in which you can be very diligent, in which you can be very faithful to the work before you and even to your family, and yet still live a life that is completely in vain if it's a life apart from Christ. That this psalm gives us both a warning and redirects us to what is true blessing. The key truth I'd like us to meditate on as we go through this word is that because Jesus is the cornerstone of the family of God, we are a part of a home that is built to last. We're going to look at this in two points here. I think they have it in your bulletin. It breaks down nicely with the psalm. The first point 
is building a house of vanity, verses 1 and 2. Look again with me. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Solomon's giving us uh, you know, some very kind of real-world examples here uh, that you can be working on building a house, wood beam by wood beam, brick by brick, and yet if God is not in it, all of your hard work can ultimately be for nothing. Or a watchman, right? Their role is to protect the city. Got to think of an ancient city, you know, before security cameras and drones and all of this, where you had to have a guy standing on the tower with a torch looking to see if the enemies are coming. But if the watchman does not stay awake, or sorry, if the Lord does not watch over the city, even if the watchman stays awake all night, even if he does his best job, it can ultimately be in vain. Maybe you've had the experience of you put a lot of time and hard work and effort into something, and you thought, surely this is going to pan out. And yet the Lord in his wisdom brought it to naught. That can be a hard pill to swallow, as they say. And yet we know that the Lord is wiser than we are. He knows so much more what is for our good than we do and wants to direct us in those moments to what is true blessing and not to build ourselves a life of vanity, a house built on vanity. Verse 2 continues, right? He says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And so just from these two verses, we can see Solomon is addressing three very basic things of life here. The building of a shelter, the establishing of safety and security, and the gathering and growing of food. Food, shelter, safety, security. What do they call it? Maslow's uh, Pyramid of Needs. Maybe you've seen that picture before. There's a foundation of uh, you know, basic things every human needs. And it's you got to eat to live, you got to have a place to go, and you got to have a, some sense of safety before, you know, we can worry about those more advanced things like, you know, existential identity and, uh, you know, intergovernmental relationships. Right? There are basic things of life that we all have to work diligently for. We see Solomon is very wise to highlight these because these are the things, if we're being honest, fill our hearts and minds with anxiety and worry. These are the things of life that we tend to spend our anxious toils on. What do you find yourself working hard for, diligently striving after, anxiously toiling for, staying up late and rising early to try to accomplish and achieve? We all would like to build something, we all would like to leave a legacy of some sort. We all would like to experience some sense of blessing and uh, fruitfulness in our life. And yet Solomon, right, a man who not only was wise but rich in a worldly sense through the Lord's blessing, sees through that, that there is a certain vanity to the building of our own house for our own glory, the building of our own safety and security. You know, I work uh, at Kennesaw State University. If you haven't been over there in a while, it's the second biggest school in the state now, 46,000 students. It's massive. They're always building new buildings. You know, we have universities all over our country and our world, and they're institutions built on the idea that if you come here, 
you can build a better life. You can build a good life. If you come here and study hard and are diligent, you can come out and, and enjoy the fruitfulness and safety and security and shelter that you long for. And that's not all bad. We want our children to go to college and be successful, yes. And yet, right, secular universities are not teaching a life built on Christ. They're teaching you can have a good life apart from God and apart from Christ, but with no foundation. That ultimately when you get to that Jenga game and someone pulls the little piece of wood out the bottom, it's likely to collapse. And as we know from Scripture, one day we will all face judgment. As uh, Corinthians tells us, are your foundations built on wood, hay, and stubble, things that will burn up, or on foundations that will last, foundations built by God? You know, the kind of classic college student move here is to pull an all-nighter. Anyone ever pulled an all-nighter before in your career? Yeah, a couple of, yeah, all right, a couple of people smiling, yes. And the idea is if you stay up all night, you know, and study, 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 work hard, you'll get a better grade on that test. Uh, you'll, you know, you'll pass your project. I think the jury's still out on whether that's a wise study strategy. I wouldn't recommend it. But there is this sense that is striving after our own glory and our own accomplishments is one of constantly having to give more of ourselves. And our world has no problem with this. The message of our society is, yeah, go ahead. Keep on working yourself literally to death if you would like, if that's what makes you happy, even if it's a life built on something apart from Christ. You know, I like to call that the gospel of hustle. It's very much imbibed in our culture. And the idea is like faith is essentially a muscle. If you just kind of squeeze it enough, and put a little bit more hard work into it, then, you know, God's going to pay out for what you want. You know, it's almost like a lottery ticket mentality. If I just buy, you know, a few more, <laughs> if I just invest that time, I'm finally going to figure out the strategy where I'm going to get paid back what I'm owed. And Solomon is saying, that's not how the Lord works. That's ultimately a faulty, a vain strategy. It's a life built on something that does not have true and lasting and eternal value. It's a great warning to us. And we see this kind of uh, vain life can take different shapes in different seasons of life. You young people in here, hear now that, you know, our culture often sells you kind of two images. One is you're young, so like don't take things too seriously. Just have fun, have a good time. And when you're older, you can, you know, take seriously maybe religion or, you know, mature life. Or the other is, you're young and life is hard, so you better start studying hard now and working hard now and do all the clubs and all the soccer practices and get all the scholarships and go to the best university because if you're not working harder than everyone else now, then you're going to end up losing out. Young people hear that God has a very different perspective. He says, your life, even now as a young person, is one not in vain. Your life should not be characterized by the pursuit of foolish pleasure, or the pursuit of anxious toil. Know that God cares to know you and you to know him even in your young age. That that is not beyond you. It is not for a later time in your life. That God wants you to experience him even now. He wants you to know his word even now. Working parents, working age people, uh, you know, man, so much of our life can be filled with just 
the day-to-day activities. I mean, I'm a parent of two young children, and I can't tell you how many days where I'm just running around trying to keep mouths fed and diapers changed and get kids to sleep. Please, Lord, let them sleep, right? Like, uh, just seems like that's all the energy of the day. And I get to the end, and man, have have I spent one moment praying about any of that? Or am I separating out my day-to-day life as a parent, as a worker, from my spiritual life? That God very much wants to be involved in those moments as well. That your work, whether it's in a very you know, secular company or religious institution, whatever it may be, that the Lord wants to be at work in and through you in those places. That Solomon's word here is not actually that you know, don't worry about building houses and don't worry about seeking after these things. But it's that the one whose heart fears the Lord and is founded on the Lord is one that finds their labors defined by his work in them. That whether you're an engineer in your workplace, you can still have an impact for Christ. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom and you're cleaning diapers, you can still have an impact for Christ. Older people, do not buy into our culture's obsession with youth that your life now is a life in vain, that you have nothing left to give, that you only had something to give when you were young and now you're past it all, that it would be more inconvenient if you just left. That is not the way God sees you. That is not his wisdom. That your life is not in vain, that you still have much to give, that you still have an impact to have on the next generation, that you still matter to your families deeply. You matter to the family of God. Our culture loves to sell us one that chases after vanity as if it was smoke, something you can't hold on to or grasp. And yet Solomon is redirecting us, trying to point us to a foundation that will last beyond our lives, that will bring glory to God. This psalm echoes another famous part of the Old Testament. If you go to Genesis 11, we'll know that uh, the people of the world gather together to build the Tower of Babel. And they don't build this to glorify God. No, no, no. They say, we're going to build this to have our names remembered. Brick by brick, we'll put in anxious toil and labor and stay up all night building this tower that lifts us up. And you know, the Bible can be kind of funny sometimes. In the original language, like, it, you know, it says God looks down at the tower, and he, the way the language is, it's like, where's that big old tower they said they were building? Like, I don't see it anywhere. Like, God is not impressed by our attempts at hard work to build something big. As Justin said, the stars were an afterthought for him. Our little efforts to build a kingdom of our own do not compare. The Lord scatters the people He ends that project, and yet at the end of Genesis 11, we're left wondering, okay, so God, if that's not it, if we're not building towers to our name, then how are you redeeming the world? Well, the very next passage is the calling of Abraham, in which said, Abraham, I am going to make a new family out of you. Where there was no family, I will make a family. And through that family, I will bless the whole world. And, you know, it's almost kind of like humbling to think, man, in a human perspective, you'd think, well, if we build this big tower, maybe the whole world will see it and be drawn to it. You know, it's like a tourist attraction. Maybe that'll have the bigger effect. 
I mean, one guy, one family? That seems like just a, a speck. Seems statistically unlikely to play out. And yet that's what God chooses to do, to show his amazing power through the least likely. That God is calling together a new family. We see that ultimately he's building this family on Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Look at the language here of how Paul, talking about the family that God is building in Christ Jesus, comes together. And he weaves together this language of of building and family that we see in our psalm. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 17, talking about Jesus, he says, And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being our cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit that God's plan is to send his son to redeem and save his people and then to call them together into a new family. And the language of the Bible here is that each of us are like a little brick that God is building a new temple to himself. Not a temple that can be destroyed in Jerusalem, but a temple that will last unto eternity. A temple unto the Lord that gives him glory and cannot be corrupted by failures of priests or uh, messing up the sacrifice. No, it's a temple in which the sacrifice has been completed in Christ Jesus. That if you want to live a life of value instead of vanity, build it on the cornerstone of Christ. And we know from God's word that those who put their faith in Jesus as their cornerstone will find rest in him, as we see in the psalm. But those who reject Christ, that cornerstone will be a rock that will smash them. It will be a rock of crushing. Hear the warning. Flee a life of vanity and run to Christ and let him be the foundation of a truly blessed and better life. As uh, it says so well in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' own words, the wise man built his house on the rock. The foolish man built his house on the sand. And when the rains came, which house stood up? the house built on the rock, which is Christ. Let's look now at the second half of this psalm, uh, verses 3 through 5. And the second point is growing the family of God. Verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. All right, so Solomon is saying, look, don't build a life of vanity, a life that's in vain, a life unto yourself, but join the work of the Lord, join the family of the Lord and what he is building. So it begs the question, well, what is the Lord building? Well, he's building, right, the family of God. He's calling us into that work. And we can see this on two levels, right? The natural, the Lord loves it when we have biological children and we're blessed with them and we can raise them as covenant children. 
and also spiritual children. That very much the language of Scripture is one of adoption. Right? That when Jesus comes into your life, you are adopted into a new family. That Jesus, when asked, hey, your family's outside, trying to pull you out, Jesus says, where is my family? It's those who are here, who hear my word, who do my word. Those are my brothers and my sisters. That yes, we are raising our children in the Lord, our natural children, and we are raising the people outside who hear the word and come to faith in Jesus. What a blessing it is when we have covenant children that we can baptize and catechize and confirm in their faith. And even more so, what a blessing when people come through these doors who don't know anything about Jesus and confess faith and are baptized and join our fellowship and we can call them brothers and sisters. But that's where the true blessing is, that that's the work the Lord wants us to take part in, that this is where the blessing is. And the language here is really interesting, right? It's a heritage. It's an inheritance of sorts that our labors to grow the family of God will pay out beyond even our own lifetime. So it's not just your immediate you know, experience here and now, but that people even after you are long gone will be blessed in the Lord because of our labors to see the family grow. What kind of heritage are you leaving behind? Uh, it's said that the mayor of Paris, France, uh, whoever the mayor is, one of their big things in their tenure there is to always leave a new uh, architectural wonder in the city. So they always kind of compete to try to design and approve some new building before they leave office to beautify the city in one more way. And while it's great, you know, I'm sure Paris is a lovely place to visit and you get some good photos of buildings, there are many more people in Paris <laughs> who walk around living a life apart from Christ, who know nothing about Jesus, right? That we can spend our time leaving behind a heritage of beautiful testaments to our own creativity, our own hard work, or we can join in the investment in the heritage that God wants to leave behind. An eternal city filled with people who have come to faith, broken people who are made whole in Christ Jesus. I love, uh, you know, that very last line of verse 3 where he's talking about we're eating the bread of anxious toil, but he gives to his beloved sleep. Man, that has really uh, hit me hard working with college students because, you know, maybe our stereotype of college students is that their reservations about Christianity are like, well, you know, how can I know the metaphysical realities of whether an eternal God actually exists or not? Uh, and I've gotten very few of those questions. I get a lot of questions from students saying, is, is Jesus true? Is what he's saying really true? He says, bring me your burdens and your cares, and I will give you rest. Is that true? Does Jesus really do that? I want rest. We have people all over this world who are yearning to find rest, and they're turning to all sorts of other things. Lives lived in vain, and yet Jesus can give them what they want. And that's why Solomon says, man, join that work whether it's in your day-to-day you know, -day workplaces, whether you're called to be a missionary, whether it's in your own family, or even the way you raise your own children, call them in to a heritage of rest in Christ. That the people of God should be known as people who rest in the finished work of Jesus. That that should be a great testimony 
to those outside. Not only is it a heritage, but those who come to faith, their children in the Lord, natural and spiritual, right, uh, are like arrows in the hand of a warrior, right? There, there is some use to them as well, right? That they will be a blessing to us. That as we raise our children in the Lord, as we see new people come to faith, so they will add to our fellowship uh, to, to extend maybe the metaphor a little bit. They'll make us more dangerous for the gospel, dangerous in a good way, right? Like that we're going to go out there and we're going to bring new people in. And we don't have to do this on our own. That God wants to expand the family so then we have new workers to go out into the field. And then finally, I love that ending there. Uh, Blesses the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. You know, the idea is uh, like that eventually these children will, will grow up. They'll be young men and women. And, you know, in ancient times, maybe you remember from the book of Ruth, whenever they're going to do business, they'd meet at the city gate. It's kind of the official place of business, like the old town square used to be. Um, and, you know, if you go by yourself and someone wants to cheat you or take advantage of you, maybe you don't make it home, <laughs> depending on the city is safe or not. But if you roll up with all your grown children, you're not going to be ashamed before anyone, right? You've got some backup. Solomon is saying, the children we raise in the Lord, the people we see come to faith, man, they're, you know, like Paul says about the many churches, like, you are my testimony of God's faithfulness, that I am not ashamed because of you. You encourage me deeply. I am strengthened because I see the family growing. This should serve as a great encouragement to us. This psalm is not telling us to stop working, to stop pursuing the basic things of life like food, shelter, and security, but to see that if the Lord is the foundation of our life, just as he clothes the lilies of the field, as he feeds the birds, so he will take care of you. But in Jesus' own words, seek first the kingdom of God, and all the rest will be added. Don't seek a life pursuing those things that leads to an end in vain, but seek God's kingdom and know that all of that will be provided for as well. I love uh, this quote I found, thinking about, okay, so you know, we're called to raise children in the Lord, we're called to bring new people in, but sometimes that's messy. You know, I got two little kids and sometimes they scuff the walls and my one-year-old is in the phase where he just throws all his food everywhere all the time. We call it the splash zone at the table. Kids are messy and new believers are kind of messy too. They don't know reform theology, right? They don't know when to sit and stand and, you know, they don't say things right. But yet we can miss out on the true beauty if we give up on them too soon. So listen to this quote by Derek Kidner, who's a commentator on the Psalms. He says, It is not untypical of God's gifts that first they are liabilities or at least responsibilities before they become obvious assets. The greater their purpose, the more likely that these sons will be a handful before they are a quiverful. Saints, as you seek to raise your children, as you seek to bless the covenant children of your church, as you seek to call new believers into the body of Christ, know it's going to get a little messy at times. There's going to be some scuffs on the wall. They're going to say things that you know don't quite sit with you right. It's going to take a lot of patience. And yet, right, 
the hope that this psalm leaves us with is that one day they will be with us in the gate. They will be with us in glory. And we will not be ashamed before the Lord of how we spent our time. And yet not I, but Christ in me. Yet not our labors, but Christ's labors through us to call new people into the family of God. And so to close, let me end with this final question. Will you seek to grow the family of God or will you make the people around you the spackle for your own little castle? Will you see people as as valuable, made in the image of God and called to be a part of the family? Or will you just see them as obstacles in the way towards your own glory? That this is not just the temptation of those outside the church, that we can fall victim to this as well in the busyness of life, in the temptation of our own hearts. And yet the good news is that Christ is building something through us that truly will last. A home and a kingdom way better than anything we could build with our own hands. And so rest in him and let him do his work through you. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we are not alone in this work, Lord, that it is actually you who do the hard labor of calling unbelievers to saving faith. And Lord, you just call us to be faithful to what you put before us. Help us to be faithful to the labor of our hands in our day-to-day vocations, in our parenting. Lord, we pray that you'd give us eyes for the lost around us, to see the the glimmer of, of the spark of them becoming a believer and joining the family of God. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us when we become discouraged. Lord, that you'd guard us from the vanities of this world. Lord, that you'd renew us in the hope that we have in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.